if you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. My guest today is Phil Alves. Phil is the CEO of DevSquad and the founder of DevStats. He's also the host of the SaaS Origin Stories podcast. And today we get into how he moved from Brazil after selling his first company to Salt Lake City, Utah to start a mix of service and SaaS products. And we get into how he launches those, his process for selling and going to market with those products and the differences between the services type business and a SaaS business. So without further ado, welcome Phil. I don't typically stream video content. Most of the the pods episodes that I do, I actually do with my camera off and I focus a lot more on the audio. But I'm thinking about maybe putting this one out on YouTube because your background is not a fake Zoom background. This is legit. You've got <laughs> the Wasatch, uh, Wasatch Mountains behind you. So tell us a little bit about, for just starting off, just kind of breaking the ice here. Tell us a little bit about the tech scene in Salt Lake City and uh, what your experience has been so far uh, working in that metro. Oh, yeah. I love the tech scene here. I moved here about 12 years ago from Brazil and, and I barely spoke any English, but I knew how to code. And man, it was easy for me to find a job. Like I got like four job offers in the first week that I was here, uh, even though my English was very, very broken. Uh, so the last many years, tech has been pretty hot here. Uh, and also it's hot, but it's not too big. So kind of like everyone knows everyone. Uh, so um, I like this in here a lot. Of course, now tech everywhere is suffering and we're having layoffs in Utah, like they're having layoffs everywhere else. But it's it's a great scene and it's a great place to be. Like they call the Silicon Slopes. Silicon Slopes, yeah. <laughs> it, it, I don't know if you're a skier or not, um, but it is probably the world's best skiing. And I've been to Colorado. I'm going to get some hate for this, by the way. But I've skied <laughs> California, Colorado, Montana, and, and a bunch of other places. But Utah is the one I always keep going back to because... It is the perfect slope. So the, the Silicon Slopes name definitely fits. Yeah, it's pretty soft. I'm not a very great skier, but I, I fall a lot. So I'm like, yeah, this is a great <laughs> place to, <laughs> to be. So let, let's back up a little bit. You're, you you came to Salt Lake from Brazil. Uh, were you already in your career when you came from Brazil? Or did you start your career once you got to the States? Take us back to how Phil got started in, in you know the tech business and, and in your kind of career journey. Yeah, I, kind of by accident, I built a SaaS product when I was still in Brazil, and I sold that product. Uh, so I was still pretty young. I was 22 when I sold that product, uh, and 
was like a wasn't a lot of money, but it was money that I didn't have to work for a few years. And so I, I moved wow. here uh, with that money. And that's kind of like how I got here. But I start, I taught myself how to code when I was 16 years old. So by 22, I already had six years of experience as a software developer. <laughs> wow. So the the product you sold, was it to uh, another Brazilian company or did you sell it to a foreign company? Was was another Brazilian company. It was like a direct sales software that paid commission. Like So we would calculate commission for the salespeople who got what uh, and... It became like the number one in our market uh, in Brazil and Portugal because it was like Albion in Portuguese. Uh, and so that's kind of like the product I sold. I sold. That's amazing. Did they approach you to buy your app or did you ping them and say, you should check out what I built? Uh, it was I was kind of like ready for sale. And, and so I was talking to people and it was kind of someone in my network was that's a, a older richer business person in the city where I live <laughs> that ended up buying the business. <laughs> nice. Okay. And now, now what city in Brazil are you, are you from originally? It's a city in the South called Londrina. Londrina. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. So in, in my current role, um, <clears throat> I've done a lot of business with, with Brazil uh, just over the last year and a half. It's, it's a crazy huge market. And a, a massive economy and very friendly business people down there. So I've enjoyed working with, you know, C- Central South America, um, very much love working with the LATAM market. And it's it's crazy to see. I was just uh, this morning uh, looking through the list of the Y Combinator class, the winter class of 23. And there was quite a few from you know, all parts of like South America, Brazil, Colombia, Central America, Mexico. So it's it's insane to see the growth in tech down in LATAM. Uh, and it's something I'm pretty excited about. So that's, uh, that's awesome that, uh, that you had your first big win down there and now you're, you know, you're here in Silicon slopes. Yeah. So, uh, you, you taught yourself how to code. Where did you go? You know, once you sold the business, what was the, what was the, the, the next step that you wanted to kind of follow in, in your career? Where, where did you head from there? Yeah. So move here. I, I went to school here. I ended up getting a job. Again, I, I didn't speak English well enough uh, back then. It's pretty broken. Uh, but as I start to speak better and I kept getting job offers up after job offers, and I knew about all the talent in Latin uh, that are able to provide amazing software and build great products. And in the job that I had, actually, um, I was a CTO at this company and I have a team. And the culture difference between United States, my own culture, and the culture from that team was so huge. That was super hard for me to manage the team. And I was like, the culture difference is not that huge if yeah. we go near shore, if we go to Brazil, uh, and we'd be able to accomplish a lot more. So, so that's when like I had the idea to quit my job and start a consulting firm Uh helping people build development teams to to build products and and then I start building a bunch of SaaS products for a bunch of founders. So were you you were sort of like a free agent where you were stepping in as the the code expert and helping, you know, some business visionaries, some founders create their first SaaS product. Is that right? Yeah. And, and like what I was trying to do, it's like what I realized it's writing code is, is kind of easy and everyone could outsource people to write code, but the thinking of the product, it's where, where there was the like 
people were just so task level. They didn't think product level. And I want to offer a solution uh, where founders, they could feel like they're working with a team that's more similar to being in the same office, people that think about their product, people that challenge their ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's that was the position that I had for my consulting firm back in the day to the position that we have today. We're not like, especially now with AI, writing code is getting easier and easier. It's not about yeah. writing code. It's about creating products, creating solutions. And, and that was the idea of, of the consulting firm. And it sounds like you still, so you still run that consulting firm today, or has that one been replaced by another one? Talk to us a little bit about the you know, kind of services and consulting work you do today. Oh, yeah, I, I grew that company to over eight figures in revenue and almost a hundred employees. I'm still running that today. Yeah. Um, built a bunch of SaaS products for other people. And I got excited about building my own SaaS product again. Uh, so over the last few years, I have tried a couple of times and fell. Uh, until I arrive in an idea that I think has a lot of lags and now we already have some paying users. Uh, and so now I'm running my consulting firm, but it's to a point where this in size where fulfillment doesn't require my helping anything anymore. I still do sales uh, for the consulting firm and you can talk more about that. Um, yeah. But I spend a lot of my time now building my own SaaS product, uh, which it's basically a tool that connects to where developers are doing their work and help development teams be better and become high-performing and understand their metrics of what they can do better and what they're doing well. So um, that that's the SaaS that you're working on? Yes. And do you have any customers on that platform just yet, or is it still under, under development? No, I do. I do. I have 50 companies outside of my own company using. So there's 51 companies using the product right now. Uh, a fewer number of those are paying. Uh, because originally I just wanted to get beta testers in to get us feedback. But it's basically solving the problem that my consulting firm solves, but with software, which like yeah. what we do is we give people a high-performing development team, a team that can actually get shit done. Yeah. And so my software is to help development teams get shit done. So you can hire my <laughs> firm and you're going to get the shit done for you, or you can buy yeah. my software and you're going to guide you how to get shit done. Get shit done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. So it's how we do it. <sighs> so, so this is something I've experienced before. Um, and my listeners know that uh, I've done a couple of turns in as the first account executive hire in a bunch of early startups. Uh, you know, namely there was one back in Austin. I'm not going to mention it on the air here. Um, it got acquired, but, uh, what I've found is, is very true. And we were talking about this off air before we started the show was founders can be the best sellers because you've built the product, you know, likely the, the pain and the story or the vision the the value of the product resonates a lot with you as the founder. Otherwise you wouldn't have taken time to build that. So, uh, talk to us a little bit about you know, what it's like being a founder seller, because you're selling all your clients right now, both for your services side and for the SaaS. And then maybe talk to us also about the plans for transitioning those responsibilities over to a sales leader or a sales team and what that looks like in in your business. Yeah. I I feel like as a founder, the energy that you have when you get into a sales call is, is different. <laughs> you yeah. know, so I, agree like, with that. I am more about consulting and trying to help and listening and less about the selling. Um, and so when people are talking to me, they feel like they're talking to an expert. And it doesn't matter if I get a VP of engineering, like VPs 
developers in itself, they're very hard to sell to. Uh, like they are the yeah. people that respond to last cold email. They're like super hard to sell. But when they're talking to me, they're talking with someone that it's kind of like one of them, you know, so that we can go deep and we can talk about strategy of how we're going to build something or, or how we're not going to build Y, X or Y, Y. And that's, those stuff are not super important. And there's a lot of bigger companies that can sell without those deep conversations. But those are the level of conversation that I can have as a founder that I, I think a, a salesperson would have a harder time yeah. to learn. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> you know, so, and, and again, I, I'm also able to change things on the spot and, and learn <laughs> like, okay, this is what's going to work to make this deal work. And then I can just make those changes right there. Like I can promise a feature or whatever it is that it needs to do. But also I feel like many times I'm not looking for the sale, especially in my consulting firm. Yeah. When I jump on a call in my consulting firm, it's a two-way street. And I'm more qualifying that that person than I'm trying to sell for that person. Right. Uh, you know, because in the consulting firm, I'm growing very slowly. Uh, yeah. it, it's very profitable. I, I don't have to make commissions. So I'm just like, okay, are you a great fit for us? You're going to make my life easier or harder. And at, at some point, customers have to be selling me to take them as a customer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least in the consulting part. Uh and again, I'm just like consulting, asking questions, telling them about what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, uh, that's so, uh, that's so true because, you, you know, in a, in a consulting business, it's not get customers for the sake of getting customers because you've got to fulfill on the project, the consulting agreement, right? And so you want to make sure it's someone who can benefit from those services. Um, so not, you know, not as much of a sharp hockey stick curve for that kind of business as, as say SaaS would have, but uh profitable, quick, you know, quick to hopefully quick to close deals, especially if the pain uh, and the value all align and uh, you know, there's a strong case to, to move forward, but uh, that's an interesting point. And I would also argue though, that I'm seeing a, a transition in SaaS sales too, where the, when I started in SaaS sales, it was just capture logos. Doesn't matter who it is. You know, if they want to, if they want to buy from us, let's sell to them. Right. And now in the last like 18 months, there's been more of a shift towards let's find the right types of customers and not just customers for having this, you know, just let's not just close customers for the sake of closing customers. Let's find the right fit and people that are going to stay with us long-term. So I think you got the right idea with, with the service side of the business. Um, yeah. And the biggest challenge for me on the service side to like talking about the future and that I never was able to get sales out of my plate is because at some point, Many times I'm like, okay, we're not going to take any new customers for three months, for four months. And I always think, well, if I have a, a salesperson that have a base plus commission, how can I tell that person, hey, our fulfillment are not able to get any more customers uh, and you cannot sell for the next four months. So that's part of like a service business. If you want to really deliver value for customers mm -hmm. and for, we have customers with us for three, four years. So my priority is keeping our customers over on board new customers. So on that business, I'm not sure if I would ever be able to, to make it uh, like where I bring professional salesperson because right. of that, that thing. Okay. Like now yeah. we can't sell. Like it is about being profitable and, and loving the work that we do. And that's yeah. why I start my SaaS because I want to build a business that didn't depend on me for anything. And I want to build a business that was more scalable. And yeah. so the, the, the whole plan of the SaaS is to just keep founder led sales uh, until I'm hundred percent sure to have product market fit. 
Sure. Uh, you know, and that people are going to buy and that we have the, I want to nail down the messaging. I'm testing different messagings. I'm testing different strategy. Once I have something that work, then I can get people to sell and, and SaaS is scalable. It, I'm not going to get to a point, Hey, can I onboard more customers? Because no, we just buy more servers. And like, right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So, let me ask this. So with, with the SaaS business, are you thinking, is it more of a, you know, enterprise focused SaaS where you're going to be selling to large companies, larger deals that take a little more time? Or are you trying to build something that's more focused on product led growth where someone might land on your website and sign up for a tool and start paying a monthly fee? Or is it somewhere in the middle, you know, kind of the commercial model where you're probably closing Thirty to fifty thousand dollar annual contracts, and you know, there's some sales involvement, but not as much as, say, an enterprise or a strategic type deal. What's your plan for for kind of moving that forward? Yeah, so I'm starting sales lab for the time being. I, I think going back to, to for product led to work, in my opinion, you need to yeah. know what it is that people are buying like the offer has to be super strong you have to be able to onboard people super well they have to get time the time to value have to be super short so i i believe by being sales led i'm able to figure out what's the messaging bring those bigger customers make more money quicker and i can see us eventually um having a product led function but for now it's sales led and it's more like enterprise uh companies the, like a lot of our users now, they have like a team of like at least 50 developers and right. they, they, when they want the development team to, to be better, uh, hundred developers, uh, like on my own consulting firm, we work with like fortune 500 companies. I didn't call them yet, but once our product yeah. is in a good place, I want to just call them and be like, for example, we work with ADP, ADP has <laughs> 10,000 yeah. 10,000 developers. I'm like, hey, right. do you want to buy 10,000 license for my product? So it, it's a more enterprise play. Long, long way to say it's more enterprise play, but could work kind of like in the middle too as our annual contract. It's kind of like in that 30 to 50K price range that you described for now, but it could get, get super big. The problem yeah. too with going, we I try to go after bigger companies and then they're like, hey, where's your SOC 2 certification? I'm working on nope. it, but that, that thing <laughs> takes six months. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, that that is a big challenge. Uh, and so I have to like, really, what's the sweet spot? They're big enough that they're going to get a lot of value. They're big enough that's worth my time to actually be on a sales call. And, uh, but they're not too big that they're going to... Um, Start asking for, yeah, SOC 2 and all the compliance. So th that was the issue I ran into when I was in uh, a first AE hire uh, a few years back was we were trying to go after the largest logos we could. And, you know, similar thing. It was a, it was a toolkit for developers. Um, this was focused on like streaming data. And um, yeah, we, we ran into that same challenge where they wanted SOC 2 compliance. They wanted to see uh, financials for a few years or something like that. And you just, you know, you can't, you can't do that stuff. So it is definitely difficult to start at the enterprise level, probably a little easier to stay, you know, down in the lower, uh, you know, smaller business side and then scale up to enterprise. Once you have a lot of, uh, you know, consistency and being able to deliver results and, and you've got a track record as a business. So that's, and even it, here's the problem. So let's say if you close yeah. one of those enterprise customers, like out of luck, now that that client's such a big part of a revenue that's going to start to like take your roadmap to that direction because we, we can't afford to lose that customer. That's another thing that I want to avoid. I didn't want it too yeah. early on 
bring a customer that will be too big and that will be too demanding. I, I want to like have like a bunch of customers that are kind of like the same size. Uh, and yeah, uh, we didn't try to go enterprise. Okay, let's see where we get. And then we just got a bunch of people. We were not even trying to go too big. We we're like, hey, let's get people that have 300 developers. And they're already like, where's your suck too? Let's do this agreement <laughs> like this. Like we need to do a net yeah. 90. And I'm like, no, I won't get paid today. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So what what's your approach been for for prospecting these these companies? Has it mostly come from the existing consulting business? Are you able to kind of get referrals from that consulting side of the business? And then you know promote the the SaaS product, or are you doing cold outreach or or networking on LinkedIn? Tell us about you know how you're kind of going to market with the SaaS product. So it's it's most cold outreach. Um, we're doing cold and, and testing the messaging, and then uh, I actually just hire an agent, and the agents uh, do all the work up to get people in my calendar for a demo, and then I show up and, and do a demo with the people, uh, and then. Once a week, we meet to make sure our ICP is the correct ICP. What's the ICP that work? Like, when do we work? Went to the ICP that was too big. We're like, yeah, great. We're getting the calls, but we can close the deal. So let's stop that. <laughs> so uh, so that that's basically 100%. There's that. And I run a podcast. Uh, and, and through my podcast, uh, I try not to hard sell any one of my guests. But yeah, uh, I... I have the opportunity to meet a lot of SaaS founders that could use our product. Sure. Uh, and so that has worked too, but it's it's such a hard, it's so hard to balance, you know, <laughs> because I really don't want people to think they went to my show because I want to sell them. But right, like, right. sometimes we just have the right solution for what they need. So, so that works too. Uh, and which is hundred percent different from my consulting firm. Yeah. Uh, my consulting firm is hundred percent inbound. We're big, wow. bigger. We have, a bigger mark marketing budget. So there's a, a lot of money that goes to LinkedIn, Google mm -hmm. ads, content marketing. Uh, and, and again, in that space, there's just so many people trying to do outbound for like someone, Hey, hire us as your development company that the dust doesn't work. You just come across yeah. as like cheap and like, that that yeah. public selling for engineers is just so hard and so it's better if they find you right so yeah. when they find me it's amazing because they feel like well i found you and and i vet you but when i'm starting a new SaaS product i just don't want to be losing that much money and i'm really yeah. just trying to be like okay what's the messaging that that's gonna work and in the, in the beginning it was easy because i was like hey Come use the software for free <laughs> and tell yeah. me what you think. Uh, and now I'm like trying to sell, hey, let's benchmark your development team. And mm -hmm. I'm trying different messages like that. So, so, so it sounds like you use, you use podcasting. Are there other marketing channels? That's amazing to hear that it's all inbound. And I, I agree too, especially selling to technical buyers that it, you know, it gets a little bit tricky when you're trying to go outbound and cold call or cold email to you know a technical buyer. They don't want to be... They don't want to be pushed. They don't want to be out. They don't want outreach as much. Mm -hmm. uh, they prefer to have, you know, found something on their own and brought it to the table on, to their team and said, hey, this looks interesting. So you, you're using a podcast. What other platforms or channels do you use to market to your prospects? Okay. So just to be clear, so it's out inbound on my consulting firm, but my SaaS is out outbound. So like it's, Oh, I see. Yeah, yep. So, so the consulting firm, 100% inbound. The SaaS, 100% outbound. And wow. that's kind of how I have it. So, but for the inbound, for the consulting firm, it's it's Google ads, it's LinkedIn ads, 
and it's uh, content marketing. Uh, that's the, the three pillars that we do, and then we do it a lot, and have been yeah. doing it for a lot of years. Uh, and when I started, I feel like any business is starting should start with outbound. When I started yeah. the consulting firm, I did outbound. And then as soon as we had enough money, uh, I, I just moved that money into building the engines that would bring the leads with like less of work. Because every time you, I would get on a call, even if I got on a call uh, from an outbound lead, the other person is kind of like already defensive because like, what am I doing here? Like, And they're like trying to make sure very quickly if you're a fit or not. Um, yeah. Now, when they come to you, it's just a whole different dynamic uh, of how you can deal with them. But yeah, that's how I have done. Uh, so with with the with the SaaS company, are you are you planning to raise any money, or is it all bootstrapped from kind of the proceeds of the consulting, or is it all separate? How do you kind of run you know two businesses? Um, you know, from a financial and growth pers perspective, how has that been? And what's the the strategy there? So, the, so are, there are two different companies with different LLCs, different bank accounts. Uh, but I am able to pay myself a very good salary from the consulting firm. And I invest some of the money back on, on the SaaS. So, but it's me personally investing. It's not a consulting firm investing the SaaS product. It's the consulting firms pay me. I get my mm -hmm. money and I invest in my in my in my second business, and, and that's um, how I have been organizing. Uh, I don't plan on raising money. I think not not raising money it is an unfair advantage that I will have. Yeah, uh, because yeah. again, there's less pressure. Uh, I can really focus on my own customers. Uh, I, I I know there's a lot of advantages to to raise money. I, on my own show, I interview a lot of founders that have raised a bunch of money and, and have been super successful. Others that don't. But or in my own, own consulting firm, we work with Series A, Series B, Series C firms, and, and or we work with people helping them get to Series A. But again, I just think it's, it's an unfair advantage uh, to be able to stay a uh, hundred percent focused on our customer because you stop serving your customers when you have VCs that have to get mm -hmm. their their 20x return, 100x returns in five years. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. It kind of changes the whole culture of the business, <laughs> and it yeah, it changes just the 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 growth model and and the ability to to be steady and mm -hmm. focus on yeah customer value and and delivering versus delivering again logos and 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 ARR revenue. And, and here's another thing. I'm very confident I can build a $10 million business. Done it before. Yeah. I can do a $10 million business. I don't know if I can do a $100 million business. And a $100 million business is the only kind of business that makes sense for a, a VC to invest. So like, and, and I believe a lot of my competition going to struggle with that too, because I'm like, I don't know if the market's big enough. You're raising all this money. Uh, and now you have to build this company that has to make all this revenue. Maybe you're going to have to keep adding products. Again, it adds a lot of complexity and you have yeah. to move a lot quicker. Um, I'm a pilot myself. Like uh, it's my hobby. I fly airplanes. Oh, no uh, way. Yeah. And and there is one, there's a saying in, in, in aviation, getting behind the airplane. It's when a pilot is flying an airplane that's too fast for his skill. And most people die that way because the, oh, airplane, the, the airplane is too fast. They're not realizing what's happening. They're behind, like reacting and they crash and burn. Uh, and I think that's why most startups crash and burn is because you get a founder, the pilot, 
that's yeah. not equipped to go at that speed, uh, you know? And so I, that's why I, I don't want to crash and burn. And I, I want to do this steady. And now it's kind of cool again to build profitable business for years weren't, but now it's, it's back. It's cool again to build sustainable <laughs> profitable business. <laughs> so I, I like the pilot analogy. Um, and that's, that's crazy that, uh, that you, you've got the guts to, to get up in an airplane by yourself and, and control that thing. I don't think I can do it personally. Um, but, uh, what are some things that founders can do to, you know, be a better pilot, to better be sure that they're focused on, you know, learning their aircraft, learning their business. Um, what are some steps that you've kind of taken to close that like knowledge gap that you might have, um, especially as it relates to go to market and growth? Uh, I think it's my number one way of learning is reading. I read a lot. Uh, I read a okay. lot of books, a lot of books about go to marketing, about sales, uh, and and, or about like what makes companies good. Like I love the classics, like good to great. Yeah. Uh, Small giant is another one that I love. Uh, so I think it's about learning from other people to also, as you're starting to make a little bit of money, I feel like consulting is very, very well invested money. You know, like, so if I'm trying to build something that I never did before, like we, I don't know if we're offline on the show, but I have some, Friends, they're VP of sales of big organizations. And I'm trying to build the SaaS that, yeah. in, the, that in the future, I'm going to be able to transition from founder-led to founder-led sales to uh, actual sales team. And yeah. so the first thing I did, I I paid a couple of people to jump on a call with me and to mentor and to talk to me about what do I have to put in place so I can actually um, have the things that I need ready to go for for the, the salesperson, you know, and when I go to hire my first salesperson, I, I probably not just going to hire, I'm going to hire a consulting firm to help me find a salesperson right because, yeah. because I know, I know how to hire developers. I have hired hundreds of them, mm -hmm. but I have no idea how to hire a salesperson. So why would I do that by myself? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what, so this is something interesting that I think will, will be really valuable to my listeners and for anyone out there, and, and in my opinion, most significant SaaS deals involve working with a technical team at a company. You really aren't going to close a large scale SaaS deal if you're not bringing in the development team, the IT team, a steering committee, you know, the, the list goes on, right? But but having like a technical buyer involved in the process can really anchor, you know, anchor up, ratchet up your deal size. It gets you the approvals faster in a lot of cases. It brings credibility to a deal. Tell us, um, because you're from a technical background, maybe share with us a few ways that sellers out there listening can approach uh, a technical point of contact, a decision maker, a stakeholder in a way that's credible, but that doesn't irritate them. Um, and how can they kind of build a, a champion or create a champion out of someone with a, a technical background in a deal cycle? I think it really comes down to understand a little bit of the, the technical side and how it works. Yeah. So if, so if you're in tech sales, you, you probably need to study a little bit. And the same way that as a founder, I have to study different things. I have to understand, go to marketing, I have to understand sales. I believe a salesperson have to like, okay, so if your product has an API, how does the API work? What is the end point? What does it do? Uh, yeah. It's important for you to know so you can answer those questions and you you really know. And you don't have to like write code, but like maybe you can use something like Postman and actually start playing with your APIs. And you start to like, what's the end point? What's the documentation? Because the question is going to be what 
really around what your API can do if you're selling a SaaS product. But another thing that I, I even do myself, uh, you can bring a technical person to, to the call. You know, like I, I'm a software developer by trade, but my CTO, it's a hundred times better developer than I am. <laughs> wow. And I don't write code every day anymore for like a right. good four to five years. Maybe I wrote something early this year, but I'm not a full-time developer anymore. And if I am on a call that's going to get very technical, uh, I'll bring my CTO with me and, and he's going to answer the harder technical questions. Uh, you know, I still understand what's going on, but that's another thing. If maybe just knowing enough to just to be able to say, I don't know about this, let's go yeah. deep. Uh, and know enough to explain to a technical person what the question is. Okay, let, I think what you're asking is how are you going to do this or how our app services work? So you know, you start to know like web hooks. You start to understand the terminology and what each of those things means. Uh, yeah. And then bring someone to help, but at least show like they're not clueless uh, yeah. about what you're talking about, <laughs> you know? I think that's great advice is like bringing in experts, surrounding yourself with people within your company that, that are experts and that can speak, you know, more in depth on a topic. And, you know, it's a, it's a good reminder that if, if you're a, a seller out there listening to this, you're, you're, you're meant to kind of orchestrate everything, not to have the answer for everything. And you touched on it when you said, you know, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I'm going to go find that resource or that answer for you and bring that to the next conversation, or I'm going to get that to you over email, however, you know, however that's delivered. But I think as sellers, we can get really carried away in, in trying to be the know-it-all. Um, I know I've mm -hmm. caught myself doing this, especially early on in my career, where I felt like I always had to have some answer. And I would tend to just say something rather than say, I don't know yet, but let me go find out for you. And the right, the right way to do that is very much, I don't know yet. <laughs> I'm going to go find out. Let me bring in my, you know, CTO in your case or, or my technical uh, counterpart here who can speak to those things. So I think those are really, really good ideas for working with more technical buyers. And I think like the problem with technical buyers is that they're going to get triggered very quickly if they feel like you're trying to BS them. Yeah. So 10 times better to say, I don't know then to right. try to make some shit up. And then they're like, <laughs> that makes no sense what you're talking about. And you lose all the credibility right there. So it's it's much better to say, I don't know, or to ask follow-up questions. So like, is did I got you right? Is this what you mean? Oh no, that's not what I meant. I meant this, this, and yeah. that. Uh, you know, so, so coming again from a place of trying to understand and consult instead of just trying to sell, uh, it's yeah. kind of like what you're trying to do, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, what, what's, I imagine one way that you do that is just, is it kind of asking profound questions? Um, and maybe you care to share a couple of examples of questions that you use to get people talking about their pain points or their challenges. Oh yeah. So it's for my SAS, I might ask, so how, how are you measuring, uh, what your team is doing or what's your cycle time? How is your code review process going? Uh, talk to me about the challenges that you have in code review. Uh, it, yeah. It's just going down and questions like that. But it is just so hard. But usually you win people not on what you say, but on the questions that you ask. And it's right. likely after they already told you about their problem they're trying to solve. They'll say, hey, this is the problem, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like writing down things. And then I, I, I just because of my experience, I don't know how to teach that. I'm yeah. able to ask just the right questions, and then you gain the person trust 
not because you said anything, but because you ask the the correct question. Yeah. Um, is your uh so so the with your SaaS tool right now, is it a w- walk us through a little bit your buying the the buyer process right? So what I mean by that is, is it something that once you've kind of sold it and you get the verbal commitment? Can they just go sign up on your website or is there a, an order exchange process similar to your consulting business? I imagine, is there a lot of legal back and forth or is it a pretty, you know, straightforward setup? There's some legal back and forth because I will sell them like an annual contract and they'll yeah. send the agreement they're going to sign. Once they sign, then we just send them the link where they can sign up and it's going to be like an invite code. That code is going to allow how many licenses, whatever they bought, then they can get in and and start using the product. Uh, but a step before that, like what has been working for us now, it's mm-hmm. what you're telling our our buyers, like, hey, let's help you benchmark where your development team is and, and how you can get better. Uh, so that's step one. We, we might connect them to the software even before they pay, uh, just so they can see the benchmark feature. And sh- and that's a very easy feature that shows just red, yellow, green. It, it's easy yeah. to understand if it's green, it's good. Yellow, have to yeah. do something about yellow, red, it's a problem. Uh, right. So so that's part of the step to like the offer. It is like the first thing is like, let's benchmark and talk about why those numbers are important for you. Why are we looking at planning accuracy? Like one of the main numbers that we are looking at, what's the percent of the stuff that you plan that you actually got done? And yeah. people are so surprised. We connect and they're like, oh, we're only doing 50% of the thing we're hoping to accomplish every single sprint. And then we kind of like start to discuss those numbers. And and I talked to them about how I was able to improve that on my own company, where they were. And and, and then from there, I send them the contract and stuff for the whole year. Sometimes they're like, hey, can't pay you by month. I'm like, no, you're a small company trying to make it. You have to pay the whole year. <laughs> so you you negotiate the full payment up front. Yes. For the year. Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's the way to go too in a startup, right? You want to get the cash up front if you can. Yeah, and because just... I, I I only have to sign up three customers and I'm on the blue every yeah. every every month, you know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, uh, so Phil, tell tell us how or you know tell my listeners how they can get in touch with you, and then remind us again, kind of the the SaaS product and the consulting product. How to you know if if there's anyone out there listening who's interested. Uh, in either the the SaaS product or your services, how can they find out about those? Yeah, so my consulting firm is DevSquad, D-E-V, squad.com. And the SaaS offer is DevStats. So developer stats, so devstats.com. So those are the the two firms. And you can find me uh, at my own website, philalves.com. So P-H-I-L-A-L-V-E-S.com. That's my personal website. You can sign up for my newsletter. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. So I'm kind of like everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And what's the name of your podcast? SaaS Orange Stories. Oh, that's cool. Okay. I I interview SaaS founders about how they start their business. And and I'll talk about like how they found product market fit. What's the go-to-market strategy that work? How they got their first customers and, and stuff like that. Okay. I've, so I've heard of the show. I haven't listened to it yet. Um, I've heard of it and uh, I'm excited to go check it out now. So uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes here. 
Phil, absolute pleasure, you know, hearing about your businesses, your approach. I love it. Uh, I think it's super valuable for, for my listeners. Is there anything you care to, to leave us with in terms of words of wisdom or advice for those out there who are selling? Uh, I, I think anything in life or in business, it's about increasing your odds of success, right? So you're never going to be able to guarantee success. So like, what can I do to increase my odds? If you're talking about the technical buyer, can I learn more about the technical stuff? Can I I bring someone with me? Uh, So so that's how I approach everything that I'm going to do. And again, that's why I'm trying to build a company that's not too huge because I feel like my odds of success here is higher than if I try to build a unicorn. I don't care to build a unicorn. I just want to build a very successful uh, SaaS business that that pays good money for me and for the people that work at the business. So. So awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on, Phil. Pleasure. Hey, thank you for having me. That was great. 